Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Welcome to Three Pagans and a Cat. We are going to be speaking with Jason Mankey. I'm Carr. You may call me Ode. And Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn. I'm Jason. Hey! Which you probably already knew. Yeah, probably yeah. guessed that one from the intro. Yeah. Yes, and we are very happy to and have you the fact you that we've been talking about this interview for like oh. six years. Yeah, yeah. wow. Maybe not. Hyperbole, it's a thing. <laughs> I'm always just flattered when anyone wants to speak to me. That's still surprising. I can understand that, but I mean, dude, you're like four books in now, right? Oh, or actually that's more than that. Seven or eight? Because um, you've done... Four out... Five is already written, okay. six is due in April, seven is due in December. I'm and very what, tired. Yeah, but you're, I mean, you have such good information to share. That's why we're very excited not only to talk to you, but to talk about this new book that you have out. Very, very proud of this book. Oh, you should be. I spent years working on it. <laughs> the two-star review on Amazon made me cry. Oh. I don't ever read, the rest of them were five. Who fives. the fuck gave you a two-star review? They were anonymous. It's probably anonymous. someone who hates me from elementary school. Oh. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking they about. They didn't pick me for the kickball team. You know, it's probably something like that. Oh, my God. So why don't you give everybody just kind of a brief synopsis of who you are and where you come from and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I'm Jason. I live currently in Northern California in Silicon Valley in a little town called Sunnyvale. And if you are a Buffy fan, uh, yes, yeah. Sunnydale is based on Sunnyvale. And we actually know where the Hellmouth is. Oh, very cool. Before that, I lived in Michigan for a long time, in Lansing, Michigan. Those were my formative baby pagan years. <laughs> I met my wife, Ari, there at Michigan State University. While we were at Michigan State, we did lots of student college student groups and lots of covens and circles and rituals. And shortly thereafter is when I began speaking in public. And one of those times was when I heard you, actually, in Grand Rapids. Yep, in 2001. They had this Mm -hmm. little festival twice, Mm -hmm. in 2001 and 2002, and then never again. Never again. Never again. Uh, But it was sort of fun. It was. It was great. I'm a Gardnerian witch, so I'm initiated into a tradition, though that's not necessarily all that I do. Mm -hmm. Eight years ago, my wife and I moved to California from Michigan. She works in a medical laboratory. Oh. Got a great job out there, and California's been fabulous for us. First of all, there's no snow, which is always nice. <laughs> That's always yeah. a good thing. Yeah. No negative ones, no negative twenties, <laughs> nothing <laughs> like that. Which I know you all have had this winter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, what was it? Negative forty at one point. 40, it was yeah. crazy. But I, had, I actually got time to write out there in California. Nice. I started blogging at a website called Pathios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I blo- I, we, we, we all we read, read your blog. Your blog. <laughs> yeah. I also I don't only blog at Pathios. I'm the channel manager at ah, Pathios. So yeah. nice. I like determine who gets blogs and oh, argue cool. with my bosses for my writers and <laughs> lots of those other things. Right. And since we've been in California, we've put together two covens. We have an eclectic coven and a guard coven. Oh, okay. And so life is pretty sweet out there, which yeah. was. Awesome. So that's the short story. That's very yeah. cool. That's very cool. Now, what led you to start writing books? Did you just want to share this information with people, or did people say, hey, you should write a book? You know, it's a boy in his dream. <laughs> I, I kind of always wanted to write books. Mm-hmm. I tried to write a Horned God book a long time ago and kind of self-published 
parts of it. Llewellyn rejected it. I kind of put writing on the back burner. Mm -hmm. I don't really like writing. Writing is a means to an end. I like going to festivals and talking to people and doing workshops. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's really great when your book is done, but writing it sucks (laughs) sometimes. The process. The process. I got really lucky with Llewellyn. I actually got asked by them to write a book. Wow. Blogging really led me to writing books. Blogging was an opportunity to really sit down and write three or four times a week. Mm -hmm. The more that you write, the better that you get at writing. And I can see the improvement in my writing over those formative Mm -hmm. first few years blogging. You find your voice. Also, I think publishing has changed a lot. It used to be that writing in sort of an informal, the way that you speak sort of way Mm -hmm. was not allowed in books. The conversational sort of tone. But the online world has changed that. So now all of a sudden how I write is a little more acceptable. (laughs) And they asked me to write the Athame book, which was the first one to come out. Mm -hmm. And then I proposed the other six now that I either have written or in the process of writing. Mm -hmm. And they've been really good and really supportive. Usually if I pitch them an idea... It's not too hard to get them to do it. And my books, I think I do a couple of things well. I love writing rituals. Mm -hmm. I think most of my rituals are at least acceptable and passable into books. (laughs) I also love writing about history, and I like writing good history. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, especially in our witch and pagan books, we didn't get good history. We got got, like pseudo history or history how we wanted it to be. Yeah, mythologized is a real is a really good uh, term for that. And a lot of these people weren't doing it to be like untruthful. It was just what they thought at the time. It wasn't malicious. It was just right. And thanks to Ronald Hutton, a lot of that came out, and we started looking at things a little differently. Uh, That book really was kind of a watershed moment Mm -hmm. in '99 when it came out, and I remember I was like. I worked at Barnes & Noble at the time, and I saw this weird book on our inventory <laughs> list, you know? It's Oxford University, you know, yeah. coming in three months. So I had, like, my special order already, uh-huh. and I might have been one of the first people <laughs> to read that book. Because the moment it came into Barnes & Noble, like, I was off to lunch, and boom, <laughs> I probably read that book 27 times oh, and yeah. still use it a lot. So for those of you who don't understand, Barnes Noble was actually a place that a you brick could and buy a book and martyr book physical having to go to <laughs> You can still find them sometimes in malls. <laughs> it's, it's funny too because back then in the late 90s, mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble had this huge magical arts section right. which was yeah. the Wicca section. Yeah. Even in little tiny Lansing, I mean a whole bay of yeah. Books and now you go to Barnes and Noble. It's a shelf if you're lucky. It's a shelf if you're yeah. lucky. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and often mine aren't there, and then I cry. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you love me? No loyalty. I used to work for you. Yeah, they, it used to be a great place to work too. Yeah. And then it, you know, as the Amazon pressure became mm-hmm. more and yeah. more, they, yeah. you know, yeah. the benefits and stuff went to hell and shit, but that's not really what we're here to talk that's about. That's true, that's true. <laughs> yeah. We're we here to talk about your books. <laughs> the, when you asked about why I write, Transformative mm-hmm. Witchcraft was really this book about why am I writing this book. There are a lot of things that people do, especially in Wiccan witchcraft traditions, that are not explained. They're mm-hmm. just written in books. Yes. Yeah. Yep. One of my favorite for a long time was Build the Cone of Power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would read a book and it would say, Build the Cone of Power. Like Beyond that. that would be no instructions on how to exactly. build the Cone of Power or what the Cone of Power was. 
or how to even know if you'd accomplished it. Yeah. Is there a way to judge your success <laughs> with building the cone of power? And I thought that was like I was missing some great secret of, right. of witchcraft. I thought, wow, I've never done this. Mm-hmm. And I was walking with my wife one night, and I was like, are we ever going to build the power and build the cone of power in Coven? She's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, well, we never do that, right? We just skip that step. We, skip she's it. like, no, we do it every time. We're in circle together. It's when we raise energy, you doofus, you know? <laughs> and I was, I was like, oh, ah. oh. Sometimes you miss what's right before your eyes. That's true. And Odin and I were having this discussion this morning after having read, having your, read book. your book. Yeah. And I was talking about the fact that, you know, back in the in the 80s, when a lot of pagan books were st- first being written by, like, Scott Cunningham, Shekinah Mountain Water, they had more information about some of these things. Like, I read those books and learned what energy was and how to how to do it, how to create a cone of power and what that meant kind of thing. Well, and you had mentors. You had individual and I had, mentorship Yep, and I had well. mentorship. But I guess I internalized a lot of that information so that now it, I don't even think about it so and when she was trying to teach me how to do some of these things, she didn't know how to explain exactly. basic concepts mm-hmm. because to her they were just automatic. They processes. were just automatic. Yes, of course it goes in. You know, energy travels in Diosil. You know, of course it does. And I didn't know how to explain that to her. And so that's what I really love about transformative witchcraft. Your, your book, your, your book, where you talk about the reason you go Diosil yeah. through the circle is so that you don't interrupt the flow of energy was literally the first time I had ever had it, like, written down... And explained. And explained that energy just moves that way. But then thinking about the practices I developed just naturally without instruction, yes, that is true. My energy moves clockwise (laughs) naturally when I'm building energy. But it had never been... Explained. I'd never seen it written down before that mm-hmm. this was just how energy worked. Well, yeah. I've had to intuit like what Diosil and Wittershins was even mean, be, yeah, even mean because because they'll just can't you just say clockwise and counterclockwise? Could, I mean, yes, <laughs> it's just tradition now. Just I like know, Diosil but it's just funny that like, I like clockwise and I like Wittershins, mm-hmm. so I like just use whatever rolls <laughs> off whatever my tongue. Works, yeah, easier. But I that's what I really though I feel like your book is harkening back toward to the eighties, the early nineties. When a lot of those, when people actually actually explain a little bit more the mechanics of things, because I feel like now a lot of books, like you say, they just kind of mention it, but they don't actually explain the mechanics of it. Well, I grew up on those books too, Mm -hmm. and I thought they never really mentioned it. Maybe I I need to be. No, I really think she had a mentor. Yeah, that probably helped. And I think she explained a lot of things to you that you think are in the books, but you just internalized them so hard. My reading comprehension might be bad. I could be totally wrong. I just remembered, like, you have an exercise in there about how to, to recognize energy. Mm. And Scott Cunningham had that similar yes, uh, exercise. And so, and it built from there. Shekinah Mountain Water wrote the book Ariadne's Thread, a, a workbook of goddess magic. Mm. That was my introduction to, to Wicca and witchcraft. And in there, she had an exercise on how to build a cone of power. And she actually explained it step by step how you do that. Like I said, when I read that in your in your book as I was reading it, I was just like, holy shit, he's actually explaining it. That's awesome. Because no one's reading Ariadne's thread. No, nobody reads that book. It was published in the 80s. Yeah. The walking clockwise thing is a big deal to me. In Circle, when I see somebody in my coven, you know, just randomly walking Wittershins, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm like... 
stop. You know, like, you know, hissing intake of breath, <laughs> glaring at them, you know, and I do that in public ritual, too. I'm like, yeah. how dare you walk that way? See, yeah. no one's ever explained this to me before, right? Mm-hmm. So the contrarian in me has always read, you must walk clockwise, ne- never counterclockwise in a circle. And the contrarian in me is like, you can't stop me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But now that, like, now that it's actually, like, yeah, the energy moves that way, so you move that way, so that you don't interfere with the movement of the energy. Like, now it makes sense, and I'm like, okay, I understand. Why not to just go counterclockwise, because I feel like being contrary. We had a small amount of people show up um, to Coven last time we did Ritual, and usually I don't cast the circle, we have somebody else. Mm -hmm. Usually, like, two or three people are the ones who generally do it, but but that night I was, like, the only one who really was well-versed in what we do, and has all the ritual written in his head. So I uncast the circle, and I had to walk counterclockwise. And when I was done, I was like, I don't ever want to do that ever again. That just felt weird and icky, and no, I'm done. I'm done. That's why I make Mikey do it. (laughs) Mikey, whoever you are. That's right. Mike, we're sorry. You you have the Wittershins responsibility. So we began this discussion with you saying the, one of the reasons you wrote Transformative Witchcraft was because you wanted to explain these concepts in more detail. And I really liked how you, you started with history and just, you know, gave us this really beautiful history of Gardner and Wicca and witchcraft. And and, and actually kind of dispelled some of the myths that are out there about mm-hmm. Gardner, too, which I thought was really cool because mm-hmm. those myths mm-hmm. get propagated over and over and over again. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's a, and then it kind of naturally flows into the next part, which is talking about various, you know, different kinds of ritual. Yeah, this book is, I'm sure you're aware because you wrote it, but yeah. this book is very well put together. <laughs> Llewellyn does a great job with that and was really helpful with how to put it together, though I didn't really have to change very much at all. Sometimes mm-hmm. after you send a book in, you have to rewrite large swaths right. of it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. I just had to add a few parts mm-hmm. and check the quotes. The book was not originally called Transformative Witchcraft, though. Llewellyn has a lot of input over what your title is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was originally called The Five Mysteries of Witchcraft. Okay. And mm-hmm. then my editor was like, are there only five mysteries? Is that what you're saying? There are only five mysteries? We're not going to call the book that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because like, putting a number in your book is a big selling thing mm-hmm. normally. Like, yeah. you want it to say the seven habits of, you know, the from Stephen Covey shit. Uh-huh. You know, the seven mm-hmm. habits of a highly effective person. Because that makes it so, because I want to know these seven yeah. things. Yeah. So it's interesting that Llewellyn would be like, yeah, fuck that, we're just yeah. going to go. But it really That's is. one of the reasons, like, now I think sometimes that opening history chapter feels mm-hmm. a little odd because the other ones are so, you know, experienced this That's true. And, and do ritual and things, and the opening one is just this long story of Gerald Gardner. But it's a story that you don't see in a lot of, like, Llewellyn or Wiser mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. It's something that's been confined to Ronald Hutton, mm-hmm. who some of us, and I love the work of Ronald Hutton. Like, mm-hmm. if I ever meet Ronald Hutton, I'm probably going to faint. I'm <laughs> like, but uh, some of us think he got some things wrong in Triumph sure. of the Moon, and there's mm-hmm. Philip Heselton who went to the New Forest area and did a lot more digging. Yeah, I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of his work. Yeah. yeah, he's done some really interesting He's, he's done some a lot of his work is very speculative. Uh-huh. You know, there's no smoking gun that proves that Gerald was initiated in 1939, right. but he makes it a good case that it's very yeah, likely. A compelling case. Yeah. Right. And most of that just hasn't been in these kind of books. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to put all of that in and include well, it. I- I think that's important because we do need to remember what the, you know, kind of what the roots of modern paganism, modern witchcraft are. And he had a large 
part to do with that, you know. I think we can all say we're, you know, we're public as witches and druids and heathens and, you know, whatever. Because Gerald Gardner was really kind of the first that said, hello, I'm a witch. Yeah, 1951. I mean, that's kind of a watershed moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that the witchcraft law being repealed really would have had much to do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, people like to tell that story, like, oh, right. now oh. you can be legal. But the witchcraft- and then they came out of the woodwork. <laughs> yeah, but the witchcraft and mediums law was really just about fortune telling. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it, Which, it's not, that's still illegal in many states. Yeah. Yes, it's it not like they were going to burn you to death if you had been a witch in right. 1948 or something. You might have gotten a fine. <laughs> but, the, but, you know, the confluence of events worked out really well. Right, right, right absolutely. Although I, I do remember seeing a, just a clip of Gerald Gardner on British television when he was being interviewed, and the faces of those of those reporters were hilarious. He was a, he was an odd looking fellow, especially in his later years. Yeah, and I've also read things that he didn't bathe very often, so he's oh. probably also an odd smelling fellow <laughs> in his later years. You know. So why did you feel it was important to include this then, since you did say the the primary focus was these five mysteries? First of all, I wanted to tell this story mm-hmm. of Gerald, and I don't. And as I said, I didn't think it had been in a lot of popular books. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, part of it just comes from anger when <laughs> people call, like when you're a Wiccan witch, and they say, "Well, you can't be a witch. You're a Wiccan." Yeah, you know, you do Wicca. You don't do witchcraft. Gerald Gardner called himself a witch. Mm-hmm. And Gerald, it was the witch cult. It yep, was. Right, the right. witch cult. He practiced witchcraft. He never used the word Wicca with two C's. Mm-hmm. Right, he right. talked about the Wicca, which means the wise ones, mm-hmm. kind of like when you were initiated as a witch, you became a part of the Wicca. Mm-hmm. And uh, that whole sort of harping on Wiccans and you gotcha. know bad-mouthing Wiccans just bothers me mm-hmm. so much. I mean, because there's no need for it, and the people who do it, the traditional witches, they do great stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no need for us to fight each other. It's I so agree. dumb. I think it yeah. started as a squares rectangles thing. Yeah, I think yeah. it was an attempt by some by some Wiccans and by some witches to, for some Wiccans to be able to say like, "I'm a Wiccan. I don't do witchcraft," and yeah. some witches to say, "I'm a witch. I don't do Wicca." I think that was the original, the original intent. intent, and it got. Hostile somewhere along the way, yeah. and it really is hostile. It, yeah, really surprisingly, yeah. there's this is this is one of the things that just frustrates me sometimes about the pagan community is like, y'all, we have enough fights to go around. Yeah. We don't have to start new shit. Well, yeah. It's like we like to look for new ones, right? and there's yeah. no need to look for new yeah. ones. Exactly. Please, yeah. please direct what, your aggression outward. <laughs> I think that's what makes our podcast just a tad bit different is that it's a witch, a heathen, and a druid. Who happen to all live in the same house? All live in the, the same, same house. house, and at times do ritual together. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so we incorporate stuff from all of our. We have a very syncretic. We do uh, so it's, you know, mishy mashy. Right, thing so you get happening. to hear three different perspectives about whatever right. we're talking about. Yeah. One of the things that I love the most about growing up as a pagan in Michigan. There were never enough of us that, that <laughs> to have all, like a dedicated. That, yeah, you couldn't of... do the same tradition mm-hmm. with each other because there weren't enough of us. Mm-hmm. So you got to do stuff with all the different traditions, yeah, and learn from each other and take from that. And now it's like everybody wants to go to their camp and they don't yeah. want to come out and play with everybody yeah. else. I've noticed that yeah, there's a resistance to eclecticism. There's a resistance to syncretism mm-hmm. lately. Everybody's very tribalizing and yeah. forming up in their See, individual I'm, societies. I'm eclectic. I've always been eclectic and a solitary. I've never actually, you know, been in a coven or part of a coven. Yeah, none, none of us, actually. You know, neither yeah, neither uh, Carr nor Gwen or, you know, have ever been part of a, a large 
community. Right. But I have taken part in, you know, in public ritual mm-hmm. at, at events like this. I, I take part at the arts and craft when Pat and Paul do, yeah. you know, their, their rituals. I'm like, what's the big deal? We can, you know, why can't we all just get along? <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, I mean, we all come from many of the same sources, yeah. especially witches and druids. There's such kinship there and such mm-hmm. bonds there. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, Gardner was drawing on a lot of, and, and, a le- and then sources that followed Gardner drew on a lot of what remained of Celtic mythology. Right. Yeah. Right. Reimagined Celtic, the White Goddess, Robert right. Graves book. Right, and also the um, Margaret Murray. The Margaret Murray is a huge deal, yeah. especially for Gardner. There's really not a lot of, or any Robert Graves in Gardner himself mm-hmm. that came mm-hmm. later. Um, there was a traditional witchcraft group online, and they were like, neo-pagans use the white goddess, which is hilarious because Robert Cochran, the first person that we t- probably today would identify as a public traditional witch, mm-hmm. heavily influenced <laughs> by the white goddess. I'm like, do you know anything about what the fuck you're talking about? <laughs> heavily influenced by Robert Graves. But yeah, for, for Gardner, it really was Margaret Murray yeah. to a large degree. And then Margaret Murray really blessed the Wiccan movement, the witchcraft mm-hmm. movement, by writing the foreword to Gerald's first book in 1954. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the witchcraft outlined by Gardner is only sort of like Margaret Murray. Because Margaret Murray, there's no goddess in Margaret right. Murray. Mm-hmm. It's right. all about the horn god. And when there's, a, when there's a goddess mentioned, it's really, really rare and mm-hmm. not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know that a lot of people kind of dismiss the work of Margaret Murray. In your book, you kind of she's a lot more important than people will give her credit for. From a historical perspective, it's easy to dismiss yeah. the work of Margaret Murray as an influence on what we do today. Right. It's tremendous. Right. Like her work has really influenced people. I see bits of it in ritual sometimes. Right. You know, I'm like, where have I seen that before? Then I go back and read The Horn God of the Witches, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's from Margaret Murray. People take from that book. Yeah. Margaret Murray was the first person to really articulate the idea of the Horn God as this bigger figure comprised of Pan and Kernonos mm-hmm. and Hearn. Uh, the God of the Witches is her better book. The mm-hmm. Witch Cult in Western Europe, which came out in 1921, is better known. Right, but I have that, a copy it's, of that. It's much shittier to read and yeah. um, not really very fluid but god of the witches in 31 the first chapter which is about the origin of that horned god Mm -hmm. by the time you're done you just want to take off your clothes and run through the forest (laughs) i mean it's tremendous it's tremendous and she paints this beautiful picture and none of it's true but it's so beautiful you know and she beautiful bullshit and listen listeners there is a place in the world for beautiful yes, bullshit. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's a reason why UPG is UPG. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Everything it, starts somewhere. And yeah. if it works, it, that's all that really matters. Right. Exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's value in knowing the history of everything. This is why I always do this on the podcast, is I always do all the debunking, and I tell mm-hmm. people, okay, well, here's where this actually came from. I'm not doing this to tell you you can't worship the thing or believe the thing. Mm-hmm. Just know where it comes from, and exactly. then do it all anyway. Exactly. Right. And there's, you know, I, I would encourage people to read the work of Margaret Murray, because she, you know... Especially because I think you'll find that a lot of secondary sources are referring to Murray without referring to yeah. Murray. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. There's a bit that Heselton writes about that he thinks one of the groups that started witchcraft in the New Forest area mm-hmm. were influenced by reading a review of Margaret Murray's books. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so, like, so, not reading the actual book, but reading someone else's 
opinion. Yeah. Well, the thing about witch cult in Western Europe when it came out, it was written for an academic audience, mm-hmm. and nobody who was a lay person really read it. Yeah. And then God of the Witches was written for a lay audience, okay. so that ended up kind of you know trickling down to regular people in a way that the witch cult didn't. But then after the war in the early 50s, both books kind of had a renaissance mm. all of a sudden. Probably due in no small part to Gardner, mm-hmm. because all of a sudden people are interested in witchcraft, and right. these are the books that there do There are only it. so many books out there, so... Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, also, you know, during World War II, there aren't a lot of people writing books, so right. people were going back and reading older things. That's true. That's true. That makes sense. Now, I did want to point out that I really appreciated that I think there were two parts or two sections in your book where you mentioned a more openness... Non-heteronormative. Non-heteronormative images of... High priestess. Of a high priestess. Yeah, exactly. And the great right. Much more inclusive. You you have a very inclusive tone in this book, and I thought that was great because the we one... We appreciate it. We appreciate it because... There's a, a lot of heteronormative influence all throughout Wicca, witchcraft, paganism. We have a transsexual son. We have a non-binary, we have a non-binary child. Yeah. It's important to me to hear this inclusiveness being included, because I think that's been an issue in the pagan community. It's getting better. But it's getting better. I think we're ahead of the curve versus regular versus society. society. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think yes. we're like, I think when it comes to trans rights, we're like a generation ahead of of other people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we're so far behind as human beings in that area mm-hmm. that we have such a long way to go, even if we're a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a long time, and this is partly Gerald's fault, that people, when they talked especially about Wiccan witchcraft, it was a fertility cult. Mm-hmm. It's a fertility cult, you know, and it's all about male and female raising energy mm-hmm. together. And, uh, you know, he was a product of his time. I don't think he really understood gender like we do it today. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Um, People did not understand that gender is fluid. And, right. you know, you, we even see it basically in everyone over 70 in our society. That's <laughs> right. not everybody. I know that. There's some, it is the overwhelming majority. But, it is, so but there is a generation that doesn't seem to be able to accept that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I am, you know, a part of a generation that accepts that. And I want mm-hmm. my witchcraft to accept that. And it's mm-hmm. important that my community accepts those things. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the Great Rite especially, if it's about fertility, it's failed so much because I just don't see a whole lot of pregnant high priestesses walking in around. <laughs> you know, I've never thought, let, hey, alright, let's do the great right because I want to have some babies. You know? Uh, never. Never. You know, it's always actively trying not to have babies. Right. <laughs> you know? Taking pills. Uh, spilling our seed upon the earth. You know? <laughs> Trapping it in latex. Whatever it is. Definitely not about fertility. Right. So, right. One of the things I really wanted to do with the book, and the last section is on the Great Rite, sort of look at sacred sex in history, mm-hmm. and then sort of look at the Great Rite in a new and different way, and in mm-hmm. a way that was inclusive of everybody. Mm-hmm. Because of what I see the Great Rite as, I see it as something that everybody can do. It's about mm-hmm. connection. It's right. about connection with the partner that you're performing the Great Rite with, or, if you're really lucky, partners that you're performing the Great Rite with. Good for you, folks. And... <laughs> Uh, but it's not just about that one partner. It's about uh, connection with magical energy. It's about connection with the greater universe. It's about connection with the natural world and connection with the deities that we honor. And sex is such a altered state of consciousness that it opens up all of these opportunities mm-hmm. for those things. And I'm really proud of that section of the book. I hope my wife never reads it because, <laughs> you know, it's embarrassing for her, I think. I really-
really appreciated that section of the book. The part I appreciated most, because I usually skip that section. Like, it's not really relevant to my life. But you had a little piece at the end, which, so I was really glad that I went through the whole thing, where you describe essentially a non-sexual mm-hmm. rape, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Between two participants who sort of commune with each other, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, is the best way to describe it in brief. And it was really, it's, it felt really compelling. It sounded like something like I could actually participate in and, mm-hmm. and, and engage with. So listeners, if you pick up this book and you, like me, are inclined to skip anything about the Great Right, actually go through this one. Yes, this one is Read this definitely. whole chapter, and then when you get to the end, that non-sexual Great Right, I think, is is really going places. Yeah. We have a lot of listeners who are LGBTQ, mm-hmm. and we tend to discuss gender yeah. and sexuality and that kind of stuff quite a bit in our podcast mm-hmm. because we have a trans son and we have a non-baronary child, and so that's a big deal to us mm-hmm. as people. And there's always been an issue when Ode goes to an open ritual. Yeah. Where, the struggle is real. Where they don't explain what's going to happen and there will be time, these secret gendered elements. Be, yep. you know, these yeah, these gendered elements that they don't really talk about, but then happen. And they'll just, yeah. just like you know, they just assume they look at me and they make an assumption, right. a logical right. assumption, I guess, about what my gender is. So then I get spontaneously gendered in the middle of a ritual that I don't get to consent to because no one told me it was going to happen. So now I just go to ritual leaders ahead of time if I can track right. them down and I like check. Right. Yeah. And we're going to break your magic if I do this. We're trying to right. encourage leaders in the pagan community to, you know, without spoiling the ritual, obviously, if it's a, if, for open rituals, obviously not within your own groups, but for open rituals, at least kind of give a heads up or, you know, or make it known that, yes, this is going to be heteronormative or no, this is going to be a more in, open, so, inclusive so, kind of gendered my, my question would be, because none of us are ritual leaders. No, we're all we're solitaries. Not. We're, solitary. we're, we're coming right. at this from the perspective Completely. of, like, as occasional, you know, public ritual participants, this we is something know. that would make it easier <laughs> for me, the ritual participant. But, you know, you lead rituals. So mm-hmm. is this, like, does is, does this put, like, an undue burden on you? Or does it destroy the mystery of the ritual? Or The burden is not undue. Because <laughs> anybody who comes to a ritual should feel comfortable and welcomed at the ritual. The ritual should not exclude anybody. And if you can't write a ritual that way, then maybe you shouldn't be leading the ritual. See? And and it's true, it's harder than it used to be. Yeah. Like writing a Beltane ritual now is the biggest <laughs> challenge of my of my year. I, can, I mean I it can used to be alright, whoever wants to chase the boys, chase the boys, and whoever <laughs> wants to chase the girls, chase the girls. But, I mean, there's all kinds of pitfalls in that mm-hmm. from my thinking 15 years ago. I was like, oh, this is fun. But now I'm like, this doesn't imply consent. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't like that. What if you don't identify either way? Mm-hmm. You know, That's yeah. me. And Who chases me? Nobody. Nobody. Are you just supposed to stand in the middle of the circle? You know? Observe. Yeah. You be the timekeeper now. That's your role. You know? It, so you have to rethink what you're doing, but you can mm-hmm. still get to the mystery of why the seasons turn and, and what mm-hmm. we're celebrating at any point in the wheel of the year. Certainly, magic can still be done. That's not going to mm-hmm. change anything. Mm-hmm. So all of these things we can fix and we can do and we can make ritual inclusive and we can make everybody comfortable and happy in the ritual. I'm really grateful to hear you say that. Yeah. It's really good to hear that. You know, as a Gardnerian, people are like, well, you people are never inclusive. If we... <laughs> We removed the LGBTQ plus element from Gardnerian Wicca. That there would be sixty percent less Gardnerians today, <laughs> yeah, and that's the absolute <laughs> truth. I mean, we ex- 
the new generation of Gardnerian leaders. We expect, you know, we want a place for everybody sure. in our circles. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And since we've talked about, you know, the great right, can you list what the five mysteries are that you're covering in, oh, in the book? Yeah, in the book. So the first is, was Gerald Gardner initiated in 1939? Mm, right. It's the hardest to make interactive, but it does have two cool rituals. In <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah the it does. 1899 ritual, which is very interesting. I think I read about it on your blog. Before. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's stolen from the blog. Mm. You know, it's nice when you can recycle passwords, <laughs> make it look longer. You're recycling yourself. There's more information in the printed one, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. there's also a Margaret Murray ritual in there, Yeah, that too. was also very that interesting. That was very yeah. cool. And the second is the cone of power. Mm-hmm. And it t- but it's not just the cone of power. It's about building a good circle. It's about ways to build energy. It's about ways to make your energy work more effective. And then it has a little bit of history about Gerald Gardner and what's called Operation Cone of Power. That is one so of fascinating my favorite stories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the third one is Initiations, Elevations, and Dedications. I think that's the best section of the book, and I thought it would be the most boring section of the book. <laughs> it's the longest, I know that, but it talks about initiation in history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do the Freemasons and the Golden Dawn and Ancient Greece and those things. But then it talks about the elements of an initiation ritual. Like, you know, you take an oath, or you go through a challenge, or you're asked to know something, or you're given a secret sign. And one of the reasons I like that bit so much is is it touches on other bits of witch lore. Because you can use something like As Above, So Below from the Emerald Tablet as a password or as an instruction that somebody should know an initiation ritual. So then in the book I elaborate on that, and the witch's pyramid, Mm -hmm. which, you know, to go, to know, and all those things. And the witch's eight paths of power. And then, of course, there are initiation and elevation rituals that I wrote in the book. I think somebody reviewed the book and they're like, and then Jason shares his Gardnerian initiation rituals with people. And I'm like, no! No, I pledge not to do that. You know, they're my rituals that I've written in the book. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're better. Than the <laughs> he said humbly. And, and since the Gardnerian ones are oath-bound, you can't compare. That's right. That's right. You That's just have right. to take my word for it. Yep. So deal with it, bitches. <laughs> and then the fourth is drawing down the moon. Yes. Uh, that is really where the book started, because I'd been doing a Drawing Down the Moon workshop for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I already had many of the notes already written, so I'm really happy with that section. But it talks about how people have dealt with deity in history, and if there are precedents to Drawing Down the Moon. And it gives some rituals and some advice. And it sort of goes over the standard Drawing Down the Moon ritual that you read in things like Janet Stewart Farrar's mm-hmm. The Witch's Bible, or Lady Sheba's Book of Shadows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, at the end, the great right. Right. And a really long acknowledgment section. <laughs> that was a great acknowledgment section. It was, yeah. It was. I, I even enjoyed great. reading the acknowledgments. It was, it was. Well, the first half was supposed to be the end of the book. Because, uh-huh. you know, you want to end on, like, you know, take this and run with it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. my editor's like, no. No. <laughs> Just end the section. Then I was like, but I really want this in here, so... It starts the acknowledgments. Now you're knowing the secret inner workings of Llewellyn. There you go. (laughs) All has been told. Now we also like, I I like the glossary too, because you give really good definitions for the words that, you know, are standard in the craft, but a lot of people don't, maybe if they're new, they might be unfamiliar with them. Now I'm curious, is this really a a book more for people who are involved in Coven, or can a solitary glean some information from it to use in their own practice? I, a solitary, 
gleaned some information <laughs> from it. <laughs> I know, but I'm asking the author. So the book is really, you know, about Wiccan witchcraft predominantly, though there are other things in it. There's like little traditional witchcraft bits mm-hmm. and stuff right. throughout the book. I think Wiccan witchcraft was originally meant to be done in covens. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at the rituals that Gardner wrote, not that you can, um, <laughs> but if you look at the early structure of Wiccan witchcraft, it was an initiatory group. Mm-hmm. And you were expected to practice in a coven of about 13 people. And I still think that Wiccan witchcraft especially works best that way. Mm-hmm. It's really... So a lot of these rituals are for covens and groups. However, most people today don't practice that way. Right. Most people are solitaries. And what I want people to get out of this is that these are rites that they can do. They don't have to join a particular tradition these rites are a part of our heritage, and people should embrace them, and that they're magical and transformative rites. And so I'm trying to open that doorway to anybody who That's wants cool. to partake in those things. Excellent. That's so, great. So two good things you'll like from us. Well, one that you will definitely like, one that <laughs> we'll find out. So A, we all three gave it five stars. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so put that and on we Amazon. will go to Amazon. Oh, yeah, we will put and that we will on put Amazon. it on Amazon. Individually. Go right. to Amazon. Counter that two-star review. <laughs> <laughs> What on earth? And then the other thing is, we really thought the book was, if you want to start a coven, here's how to yeah, do it. Yeah, right. It's like Coven 101. Uh, that's really a part of it. I really wanted to give a roadmap for yeah. people who are in covens or starting covens mm-hmm. to be able to do initiation and elevation yeah. rituals. Mm-hmm. And you did. Because I think those are just... And drawing down the moon. Yep. And, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. uh, drawing down the moon especially is one of those things where a lot of the process is very arcane. Mm-hmm. But it's really internal, and you really can't yeah. tell somebody how to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I know. Open yourself up for deity and wait for it to jump in. You know, it doesn't really work that way, but you can set up triggers. Mm-hmm. Ritual does help. You can kind of go over what you think the mechanics might be in your mind. You know, it talks about, you know, what happens when you draw down the moon, the different definitions mm-hmm. or kind of ways people think that it might happen. So, yeah, I really wanted to give people that primary. That's very cool. Because most people, if they are in a coven, it's probably an eclectic coven. Mm-hmm. And saying, hey, I'm going to write an initiation ritual is really challenging. Mm-hmm. I remember in our eclectic coven when I wrote our first initiation ritual, it was challenging. Like, what am I trying to do with this ritual? What are we trying to say when people enact the ritual? Does it have any deeper meaning than, oh, here's your book of shadows and a little something to wear around your neck? Yeah. I want it to be more than that. Yeah. Well, it certainly is. And I also really liked how you stressed, I think, for instance, in Drawing Down the Moon, it's not about the person who becomes the recipient of the goddess. It's about the coven. It's about the people who are experiencing that, the goddess, through this person. That is something I've seen in ritual a lot, where somebody writes a ritual and performs the ritual for a group, and they want the glory of leading the ritual. Look at the spotlight upon me. You know, Mm -hmm. there's... I've been to a lot of bad rituals, and that's the first thing that I see in a bad ritual, like... I want to sing a song, so I'm just going to sing a song right here. It has nothing to do with the rest of the ritual, but you're going to have to listen to me sing the song. The ritual cannot proceed until I get appropriate applause. Yeah, exactly. And look at me, you know, and that is the exact opposite of why you lead a ritual. You lead a ritual in service, and drawing down the moon is the biggest service that you can give Mm -hmm. to a coven in a lot of ways because you're surrendering yourself for the good of everyone that is there. And when you have a drawing down experience... 
most of the time you're not going to remember it anyways. <laughs> right. You know, that's yeah. when you know it really worked. When you, yeah. you know, when people are telling you... explicitly you, get nothing out of this yeah. process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no Pretty memories, much. nothing. I remember the first time I fully drew down a deity. It was Dionysus. And when the ritual was over, people were like, wow, that was so great. You were so witty and charming. And then you kissed so-and-so and stuff. And I'm like... I don't remember any of that, <laughs> you know, because I'm not witty or charming. And I, uh, that young lady would have never kissed me under any other circumstances. But with D in there, it's like, yeah, Dionysus, baby. And we had a chat after that. Like, if you're going to do that, you got to let me have some of that memory, buddy. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so what is the next book that's on the docket? I think I know, but... It's already on Amazon right now. Yeah. The Witch's Wheel of the Year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, rituals for Coven, Circles, and Solitary. I was at Arts and Crafts two years ago, which is a great witch store in Michigan. And Our people, listeners are familiar. Yeah. Very familiar. People are like, what are you writing next? What are you going to do? And when are you writing your ritual book? I got that one uh, that day, and I was like, hmm, filing that away. So this yeah. was the ritual book. So it's three different Sabbath rituals for every Sabbath. This book is, I don't like to quote Cartman from South Park, but this book is hella long. <laughs> and so it's three rituals for every Sabbath, each tailored for either a solitary, a coven, or what I call a circle, which means a large group, mm-hmm. like a group maybe over 25 or 30, up okay. to maybe a couple hundred. And it has histories of the Sabbath in there, do's and don'ts for leading different kinds of rituals, a history of the Wheel of the Year and why we call things Maybon and Astara, mm-hmm. right. you know, even though those aren't real holidays from yeah. a historical right. perspective. And that's the book, and it, I wrote it really fast. It was a strange writing process. I sent the proposal in in March 2018, and Llewellyn sat on it and sat on it, and I said, well, I'll probably publish it. I'm going to start writing it in April. When I don't hear anything, I'm like, they're not going to publish this, so maybe I'll do other things. And then my wife and I went to Greece in May on vacation. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there in Athens, I think, or somewhere, and I get the email, oh yeah, we're going to publish your book. <laughs> and the date I'd put on it, thinking I was going to start in late March or April, was September 15th. Wow, that uh-huh. is a fast turnaround. And so that, so that would have been like, you know, yeah. fast, but extra months sure. of time. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't start it until June. June. <laughs> so I really had about three months and a little bit of change to write the whole book. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it, it was a, a process. Yeah. Because it was just exhausting. I'm just so fucking tired of writing right now. <laughs> uh, but is that one coming out? It, yeah, it should be out in November of this year, oh, December. Fabulous. I thought it might be out a little earlier than that, but Amazon lists a date of like the first week of December. Okay. And usually that's right. Llewellyn never tells you. You just find out by like going to Amazon, it'll tell you when how many. My book coming out. It'll tell you how many pages your book is <laughs> on there because you have no idea, and it'll tell you when it's coming out. So it's like 500 pages, and it's coming out in December. Nice little service Amazon provides. Yeah. You know. yeah. Usually, though, they let you see your cover art before you know it's on yeah. Amazon, mm-hmm. right? And you don't really have a whole lot of control over your cover art mm-hmm. as a Llewellyn author. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's their job to market books, right? Sure. So yeah. you you trust them. Uh, usually that goes really well. I love Transformative Witchcraft, the cover of that. Mm-hmm. That that was an idea that Ari and I had. And then the Witch's Wheel of the Year was a pretty obvious. Obviously, you're going to have a Wheel of the Year on it. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. But 
they did a tremendous job with the cover of that book. It is Fabulous. absolutely beautiful. Did you, cool. When you buy it, you can just buy it for the cover. To stare <laughs> at. Rip the cover off. And put it. Put it on the frame wall. Frame it. Frame it. Always yeah. frame it. Yeah. And absolutely. Then, uh, and then actually buy. Just, actually, just frame the whole book and buy a copy to read. There you, you know, go. Should right. have a copy just to gaze at lovingly, <laughs> yeah. and then a copy to read. Yeah. There you go. And that like nets me two dollars if you yeah. buy it twice. <laughs> so I mean, that's good if money. You're lucky. Yeah. 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 I think about a dollar a book is what we writers get. So yeah. yeah. So you're really doing me a solid there. <laughs> you know, it's like half a cup of coffee if you buy two There cups. you go. There you go. Well, I think that's it. Are we wrapping up? I, I, I think yeah, so. I think questions? So. Do you have anything Did more you, you want to say? About your book? Any final you know, Any? I mean, I could talk about myself for hours. I mean, <laughs> and you all are really fun to talk to, so this has been really great. Oh, we've Sometimes been- you do podcasts and... Like, people don't know what to ask you, you know, and then there's, like, the awkward silence in the middle, or they don't ask you questions, they talk about themselves, oh, yeah. and then have, like, maybe a yes or no question at the end. <laughs> so well, you all are great at this. The news for you was that Gwen is a published author, and so... She knows the kind she, of questions. She knows I know what you're going to ask. I understand, and I understand your struggle, and you're, you're a little bit of burnout. <laughs> yeah, I really regret saying I would write two more books this year. <laughs> I'm like really mad at myself. Like I should have oh. just taken more time off. Yeah. Well, sometimes you got to re. Yeah, I recharge yeah. The, the brain yeah. cells. The well there. has to fill back up. Yeah. You know, yeah. the well yeah. is a little empty. The well, slow periods, as we yes. are always telling our listeners, yeah. are just as important as the fertile ones. That's yeah. right. Well, you certainly poured your heart into this one. It's obvious, and uh, it's very, very good. And I highly recommend it to anybody. Yes, thank you, and everybody. It's really gratifying when people say nice things about your work. I'm terrified of people reading my books. <laughs> I'm always like thinking the words, they're all going to hate it. You know? well, I think that's just part of being an artist, no matter what kind you are, yeah, whether you're an yeah. author or a musician yeah. or an art artist. Yeah. You always think, oh, well, my work's crap. Everybody's going to hate it. Well, you get attached to it, too. I mean, it's yeah, a labor a lot of love. energy. Yeah. It's, a lo- it's, a, exactly. it's a little baby, you know. It's yeah. my little baby book. That's yeah. right. That's Except right. it's not a baby. It's huge. That's right. true. Okay, so here's a question. Are you going to be leading ritual and doing classes here at Convocation? What are you doing? Yeah, I know you have plans. Well, Convocation is a great festival. That's where we are right now, yeah. if you're listening. And they always treat me really well. I've been a featured presenter at Convocation since really before I moved to California. But now they pay for my hotel room. and oh, I nice. get you know, free. I always got free admission because I taught, but now they, you know, take care of me in a really complete, great way. That's awesome. And so I'm going to teach four classes this year. I was going to do a ritual. I usually do a ritual at convocation. And usually it takes me forever to think of it. And I'm like, just leave a blank space. And in like December, I'll have thought of the ritual. <laughs> the people doing programming this year were like, no. <laughs> no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. We're just, we don't trust you that much. I'm like, I have a great track record. They're like, no. And so just give us another workshop. Uh, so I have four workshops. One on the Great Right, which is actually tonight. Oh, cool. Which is obviously from the book. One on initiations and elevations. Again, an infomercial for the book. One Fair. on Drawing Down the Moon, which is one I've done a lot of times, but there's new information on it, in it because of researching the book and then the fourth one is about different kinds of witches today and looking at what is traditional witchcraft and where did those people come from and you know who are the authors in that genre and kind of going through all the different sort of witchcrafts because right now we are really in this era of many witchcrafts Mm -hmm. you you know there's obviously wiccan witchcraft which 
Even people who are like, I don't do Wicca, but yeah, you call four quarters and cast mm-hmm. a circle. So you do you're a pretty you, much... You derive a lot of things from yeah. it. Yeah. You, yeah. you don't want to call it Wicca, that's fine, but you're really mostly doing Wicca. And then, <laughs> you know, the traditional witches, but there's also kind of this new aesthetic witchcraft, mm-hmm. which you see on Instagram, which is really... I'm doing a picture of it. I'm doing a spell, and here's a picture, but... It's witchcraft without goddesses and gods, mm-hmm. no deity. Mm-hmm. It's really solitary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically what Gwyn does. Yeah. 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 It's real, but it's really a different sort of witchcraft. And the books that people are reading who follow that sort of witchcraft on Instagram, mm-hmm. they're not books by Llewellyn. They're not books by Wiser. They're books by authors most of us don't read. Mm-hmm. And the people who are practicing that sort of witchcraft aren't coming to festivals like Convocation. Mm-hmm. So it's really different and... It's evolving into like a completely separate and a completely ecosystem. separate. Exactly, yeah. that's perfect. So I'm not completely like that because I, I didn't you even... Had this, you had the background. I had the background of Wicca uh, and traditional witchcraft before I started kind of doing, doing, green doing green witchcraft, kind of something separate. Yeah, it's but it's it's really fascinating. So that's what that workshop touches on. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's very we'll interesting. We'll see if it's any good. So, Thank the, you very much. Jason Mankey for being with us on Yeah, we really this, appreciate this your time. This has been a pleasure. Thank you all. This has been fun. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.